make it work. You're, you are the crew, you are the costume designers, you are the choreographers, the directors, the, like, it's this, like, whole, um, everybody plays every role inside of this, this touring company, and I learned how to coach, I learned how to direct, I learned how to take direction, I learned how to work really hard, and they have two themes, and that's one is make it work, so no matter how bad it gets, make it work, and the other is just drilling it into you that it's 90% business, 10% show. And it really, it, it always has been and it always will be. This is a business and you've got to, you got to know how to hustle and you got to know how to work. Welcome to episode 64 of the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where this week we'll be sharing the stories and struggles of an actress, voiceover artist, voiceover coach, and more, and how she thrives and survives in the city of dreams, New York City. My name is Michael Lutheran. I am one of your co-hosts today. And that's right, this week on Hollywood Hustle, we're actually interviewing someone on the East Coast in New York City. Uh, in our previous episode, our Team Hustle episode, Daniel and I kind of talked about how excited we were about season two, about being able to interview people not only just in Los Angeles, but building our community out and interviewing more people outside of California. And, you know, Hollywood Hustle can be specific to L.A., but Daniel and I and you, our listeners, I think we are all aware that the Hollywood Hustle is also a spirit, a uh a shift, a perspective that you can have, and that, my friends, is global. As long as you're willing to work hard towards what you're passionate about, whether that be acting, writing, singing, voiceover acting, whatever it may be, as long as you're willing to put in the work for it and think that it doesn't come easy, that it's going to take true grit, that, my friends, is the Hollywood hustle. And Shelley Shinoy is a powerhouse of the hustle. Uh, she's actually going to be our very first three-act series here on the podcast. We're so excited. As uh, Daniel later mentions in our outro discussion, there is just so many wonderful stories, uh, sometimes related specifically to her acting career, but then just the daily life of being an artist. And I really did not want to cut anything from this interview, so you're going to get it all. You're going to get all of Shelly Shinoy here on the podcast today. And as I said, I'm going to be joined later today by Daniel Tuttle to discuss what we took away from this interview, as well as to talk about some really exciting updates. As I uh, talked about in our side hustle for this episode, I've got some really, really exciting news that I can't wait to share with you guys. But before I share with you the good news, let's get to this interview. I am so excited to be bringing you this amazing and exciting and at times hilarious interview. Uh, you're going to soon find out Shelly has so much energy and it is just infectious. So let's get to the interview. Let me pass the baton over to my friend, Daniel Tuttle. Let the hustle begin. With us today is a woman of many voices, talents, and passions. She is an actress and a coach, starting in Colorado, then moving all around the country. And after touring the country with a national musical tour group, she planted herself firmly in New York City. There, she found success with a comedy troupe called The Brothel, 
where at one point they outsold a Saturday Night Live alum show at a festival. Eventually, she found success in voiceover acting, voicing over 25 characters in the Casper the Friendly Ghost cartoon, to characters in a popular video game series such as Telltale's The Walking Dead series. Our guest has truly mastered her craft and lives a true passion. She also has worked on several projects with Netflix and is incredibly giving with her voiceover coaching at nycvocoach.com. She is talented, kind, and we are so lucky to be speaking to her from New York City. Please welcome the fantastic Shelly Shanoi. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Shelly. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks you for having me. Now, if you notice, she said guys, because we're doing something very special. We're just going to have one long interview here with Shelly. So to help me with this, I brought my Daryl. Yes, I will riot if he dies. Mr. Michael Lutheran. Wait, where's my five minute introduction? It got deleted during the technical issues. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, sorry. But I'm super excited to be here today talking with you, Shelley. I, as an actor, as someone who grew up watching Robin Williams and stuff, I am obsessed with voiceover. So I'm so excited to be talking to you today and ready to learn. Yes. So just go. Yes. <laughs> Teach us everything. Oh, sure. Oh, this just is get. the most creative in for a coaching session I've ever, I've ever had. Free private lesson, people. Do, yeah, we're just going to do a session right now. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. Just kind of tell us about your family, where you grew up, about, I know you moved to several different places. So just kind of go through that with us. There were, there's five kids in my family. We were all born in a different state. Uh, I was born in Denver. And then shortly after my family moved to Columbus, Ohio, which is where um, I spent my childhood, uh, lived there until I was about 13, 14, uh, and then moved to uh, Provo, Utah, Southern California, back to Provo, Utah, but in a different area, then back to Southern California from Southern California, back to Columbus, and then I moved to uh, New York uh, when I was like 20, 21. Man, I wish you weren't so stagnant. <laughs> I know. So uh, I went to six different schools in seven years, uh, from sixth grade to uh, graduation. Um, I went to, uh, I think I was actually seven different schools in six years, and um and really, uh, you know, the story of my life in school is if I uh, didn't have access to a drama department, I would have died. <laughs> I realized that like being involved in the drama department in every school, it was the most open minded group of kids, the most accepting. And and I could actually go in and be myself, which was kind of unheard of in every other area of the school. If you're the new kid, you're just a target, really. So I'm survived by it. And so what was the reason for you traveling around so much? Was it for parents' work? Um, my dad was in the military, so I know about the moving around quite a bit as well. What did you, do you feel that growing up in all these different areas gave you a chance or the ability to learn to adjust to your audience or uh, figure oh. out who you were? Oh, absolutely. You know, so at the time, it's just living, breathing, life or death torture. And, um, and it taught me, I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, I, I went to like four different junior highs and four different high schools. And if I didn't, uh, learn, if I, if that didn't happen to me and if I didn't have, 
um, the horrible experiences that I had that I quickly learned how to navigate uh, as I moved from school to school to I learned how to expect it. I learned how to navigate it. I learned how to survive through it or buy it. And um, and that entire experience set me up for success for moving to New York City when I was like I was like night I was like 19 or 20 when I got here. Um, I said 20 or 21 before, but it was, it was, I was like 20 when I got here and I didn't know anyone. And I got my apartment like via like faxes and phone calls. I didn't even see it. And there, you know, and I moved here and just hit the ground running and, you know, I, and I had toured with the young Americans before we can talk about that, but I toured with the young Americans before I got here and they, um, set you up for, with one rule and it's make it work you're you are the crew you are the costume designers you are the choreographers the directors the like it's this like whole um everybody plays every role inside of this this touring company and i learned how to coach i learned how to direct i learned how to take direction i learned how to work really hard and they have two themes and that's one is make it work so no matter how bad it gets make it work and the other is just drilling it into you that it's 90% business, 10% show. And it really, it, it always has been, and it always will be. This is a business and you've got to, you got to know how to hustle and you got to know how to work. We we can definitely relate to that because I mean, even doing this podcast, it really is. It's 90% business, 10% actual show. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> So what's your what's your first memory when you were little, whether in Ohio or SoCal or Colorado? Uh, what's your first memory of just like imagination or like using your imagination and like, quote unquote, performing if you can as, as far back as you can remember? Oh, I have so many. And if I go way back. Well, so there were five kids in my family. So in order to get attention of any kind, I'm <laughs> not kidding. You had to be the funniest, the quickest the smartest, the showiest, the smartest. You had to be the, you, in order to get acknowledged, you had to, you had to be so smart. And so if you, if you were just like off in the corner, like, look at me, it just would never happen. So you would have to like, you would have to be so smart to like, you know, (laughs) achieve love. (laughs) <laughs> that so terrible. I'm just kidding. But like, in order to like really make a sense, so it was a very competitive, very creative uh, childhood. Do you feel that competition between as and between the family has kind of set you up in your hustle later on? So, do you feel you have more drive because of that? Um, I'm not competitive at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was me laughing at my own joke. Um, No, it is so competitive in my family. It was always based in the creative arts. And so, yeah, it's like, it it was everything. It was everything. And it still is everything. Like, even still, if we're we're all on the same text chain, you got to be the funniest one. (laughs) I I definitely... uh... 
I definitely connect with that. I feel like if you have siblings, especially if they're older, it is always about one upping uh, one another. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, Daniel is an only child here. Oh, Daniel, you can yeah. you can come in our family. <laughs> Nobody will notice. You know what I mean? Everybody will just be like, "Oh, Daniel, how long you been around?" All right, great. You're Here gonna have in. some. You're gonna have some real competition. I'm just saying in those text yeah. messages. <laughs> yes. So so the best is uh, is game night. And so that's really whether whether or not you'll be accepted into the family is if, if you can make everybody laugh on your first try, you're in, you're golden, you're set for life, you're blood. <laughs> but so I know one of the things that I did with my siblings is we would watch cartoons, of course, like Saturday mornings, stuff like that. When was the first time you really started one, I guess, like, what were some of the first shows that you started watching? But then like, what at what moment did you realize like, oh, what is that? That's something that I'm really interested in. This people making funny voices, stuff like that. Okay. So when I was a kid, I remember like way back in the day, I remember I was a big, big, big fan of Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know, it was stuff like that. It wasn't necessarily animation, but Pee Wee, Paul, Paul Rubin was, was brilliant with his voice. It was the part of the, you know, such a massive piece of the puzzle of his success and why his show was so brilliant. I mean, did he just always talk like that? And then he was always doing, it was his voice and it was the way he carried it. It was so authentic and it was so, it was so uh, consistent. He was a, a character you trusted that, you know, it, it just, it just is what it is. And you hear Pee Wee's voice, you know, it's Pee Wee. Like, I don't care how old you are. I mean, unless you're truly like a current toddler, but, but still like, if you're, if you're like older than 10, you know, Pee Wee's voice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's saying something when this was on TV, like 20 years ago or so, um, or more. And so I remember that. And then, but then when it really, truly struck me as something that was bigger than magic, like bigger and better and more magical than magic itself. It was uh, the feature films that were coming out when I was a kid. And that was um, the Lion King. It was especially Aladdin. I mean, you mentioned Robin Williams, like in the first minute of our interview and like, I'm like, yep, that's why I'm here. Uh, You know, it was his performance as the genie in Aladdin. And it was also the fact that like, I'm not going to lie. I fell madly in love with Aladdin. I was, you know, a child and I was like, what are these feelings? <laughs> I mean, I, he, I'm he no Jasmine. Vest. <laughs> I'm, I'm no Jasmine, but my God, I will try. So, <laughs> you know, and, and it was all, it was, it was such, those are such beautiful, striking performances. And of course the animation was stunning and, and just the whole experience was purely magical and robin williams was the driving force behind that and then all of the visuals and then such a great ensemble cast it was just magical and i felt the same way about the lion king and and before that uh you know the little mermaid i mean these were they just kept getting better as they still are just better in different ways bigger and better in different ways but like you know when if it starts there i mean that's where that's where it started for me was the feature films so when did you start, at what age did you start performing on a stage or in like uh, actual like organized th- theatrical stuff? And do you remember what some of your first roles were? 
my very first role was the was I played the lion in the Wizard of Oz. I was four, and I had no lines. Um, so I was really just a kid in a costume standing, and I I had one job, which was to roar. And the other job was uh, my choreography, which was, again, standing like a lion, no movement at all. And I remember, I kid you not, like my whole life and career just was like, who was I in love with? <laughs> the time there was this kid who was like six. And so he was like the coolest kid. And I just wanted to impress him. I'm four. He's six. He's an older man. And... <laughs> And so here I am, like, in my best lion stance, you know, with my lion hair, just like, I know he believes me. And, like, I was watching him, staring at him in the audience because he was, like, someone in the cast's older brother. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, you see me? You see me doing the lion? <laughs> the lion. <laughs> and then it was like, roar, you know, I roared. And afterwards, he said, good job. And I was hooked for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, young love. <laughs> What's the process into getting into the young Americans? So you started as the, the, the Cowardly Lion. How did your progression through theater happen to get you to that point where you're touring the country and also be going through school while you're doing it? Okay, so here... so. Uh, I can I can answer this question and have you guys completely understand because of everything we've we've just discussed. And so this will actually make sense. A lot of people jump to that question and then I have to go back and explain how many schools I went to. So the last uh, year of school, I was um, in a school. Uh, I was at Provo High in Provo, Utah, and our senior class toured to Weber University. Um, I was in, when my dad enrolled me in uh, Provo High, um, he asked about the drama programs. And there was this one program that was the farthest, most advanced program. And it was um, Advanced Drama 3 Musical Theater Shakespeare Club. And it was like, wow. you had to do all of those things and be a part of all of those things. And it was their most advanced program. And my dad was like, put her in there. And even, even I, at the time, like I looked at my dad, like, and he was like, did you have any questions? You know? And I was like, no, we're doing this. You know what I mean? It was, I was really great. Cause he knew that's where I should be. And he was, he was right. If I, you know, could say so myself. And, and it was just, I was so grateful that he was, you know, really direct about getting me into the program I, uh, I needed to be in. And when I was in that, uh, group or in that level, um, we, as a, probably there were 18 of us and they put us on a bus. It was halfway through the year. And we went to Weber university and they had us audition for the university. And so they handed out these scholarships that were, I think it was a six tier scholarship. And I think it was one person that gets a full ride scholarship. And then it was two people got half and four people got, uh, got a year, their first year paid for. Mm. And that was how the scholarship program worked. And the, and you auditioned with a monologue and it was either a monologue and a scene or a monologue and a song or something like that. And I auditioned with a monologue and, um, I think it was two and a half months later, I got this massive envelope in the mail and I opened it up 
And that was when I learned that I had gotten the one complete full ride scholarship to Weber University. And we were competing against every high school in the tri-state area that was there for the Weber University auditions. Mm-hmm. And they put on these huge musical theater productions and they did all of this amazing theater work. And I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, what ended up happening was I had to turn the scholarship down because the high school didn't let me graduate because all of the credits needed for that senior year graduation were different and scattered through the seven different schools I had attended before I ended up graduating from Provo High. So I had to turn it down because I didn't have that school's exact direct credits that were needed. I had a four point uh, grade point average. And what ended up happening was they failed to graduate me. And so I actually left uh, Utah and went to Southern California redid my last two years of high school in six months and ended up graduating with a 4.3 GPA. And from there instead went straight to Los Angeles and auditioned for the young Americans. And I made their first tour. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally speechless right now. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like such a roller coaster of, you know, extreme excitement and high. And then the worst possible news that it, as a young person, you could get that this dream program doesn't fit for you it was like I mean it's it's that thing where like you look back on your life at the worst things that have ever happened to you and of course like these things aren't that bad compared to a bunch of other things that happened in my life these things aren't that bad but in my career in this industry in this business those are tragic and so you look back at that and you're like wait a second if that didn't happen to me, if I ended up in one location at Weber, even though it, even though they were like swinging the gold curtain open and warmly welcoming me, like with this, like as a high school student, you dream about that kind of acknowledgement, just any kind of acknowledgement. And so to have that and then have to, and then have it ripped away, basically, like I couldn't even say no. It just it just like the school that I was at was like, she can't take it like bye, you know, like this kind of thing. But if that didn't happen, I never would have ended up in LA. I never would have ended up in the young Americans and through the young Americans, I learned how to run a business, let alone like, like being on the road and touring. I did three national tours with them, ended up in most of the States of the United States through these tours, traveling on the road, learned how to, uh, uh, you know, learned all of the musical numbers that we learned from Broadway and from direct tours, direct action, learned how to coach and direct. And a year after I left the Young Americans, I was in New York City. Wow. And I still would have been in school if I were at Weber. I still would have been in college instead of living by myself in New York. <laughs> So I ended up, you know, it's interesting because they, they gave me the the four year full ride and I only went to school for two years. I ended up like going the complete opposite direction of like a four year full ride scholarship to, or 
maybe I'll take two years of school, tour the country on three national tours and get my little ass over to New York City and start working. <laughs> so, so, I mean, what was it like touring the world? What did, you know, to, or at least the country, what, what was for you, how, you know, at that age, was, was it, was it scary? Was it nerve wracking? You know, was it this feeling of like, kind of like this freedom of being away from parents and stuff like that? Like, what well, you know, just kind of t- take us through that adventure. You know, it was it was so exciting and it was so fun and and I still can't believe looking back on it how aware all of us were. We were 19. I was I was uh, 18 and a half or 19 when I went on my first tour and how aware we all were and this is from the training of the young Americans how aware we were of the responsibilities that were in front of us. So it's not like it was a tour of a bunch of young adults, like, woo, we're all going to do a show. It was like, you're on the bus planning for the next city. Someone that's only two years older than you is the producing correspondent talking to every single uh, location that we had, you know, four cities ahead has tons of responsibilities. All of us were talking about, you know, like we're fixing costumes on the road. I mean, we were working so hard and we were grateful we were aware of how how fortunate we were to have been to have like auditioned and made it onto the tour because that was such a privilege because there was a company I made it into the company and then I made it into my first tour and and like Mm. that's not as that doesn't happen you know usually make it into the company and you audition for a good year or year and a half before you make your first tour somehow lucky streaks galore i made it into the tour and i made it i made it into the company and i made it on my first tour and left 3 months later and so i was aware that that was a huge responsibility on i was a i was a line captain what are they called like a line leader a line captain of the new kids that came into the group with my generation and i was the line captain and then was selected to go on the tour. And I, I more so felt if I hadn't been handed such big responsibilities right away, it would have been a different experience. But instead, I felt like this is what it's like to work. You're, this is my job. I'm working. And it, so it wasn't like, woo, party bus. It was like, woo, we're in the industry. Let's get to work. Yeah. And it was that, that in itself was thrilling. That was enough. That was all the thrills we could have dreamed of because it was it was so exciting. It sounds like such a perfect experience to lead up right into moving to New York. Because what because what is that timeline like? Do you wrap up the tour, and is there a window of time between moving to New York, or were you just immediately gun ho, let's go and and see what happens? Good question. I ended my third tour and was back in Southern California, and knew that within a year I wanted to be living in New York and I could have stayed in the group and I could have continued. There are, there are new kid 97s that are still in the company. It is that amazing of a company and shortly, but within five years after I left, they started touring internationally. So like there was no Facebook, like I would get a letter every once in a while that was like, you know, from 2002 or whatever, (laughs) like you hear from somebody who's like, Hey, I'm in New Zealand. And it's like, yes, you know, like that was so exciting. We all stayed in touch. Um, But I knew that when I, when I wrapped my third tour that I wanted to be living in New York. And so I did 
so I packed my bags from Southern California and I called my brother, Ben. I have three older brothers, Michael, Ben, and Brian. And Ben was living with a couple of roommates in Columbus, Ohio. And I asked him if there was any room in their house. I said, I just needed lodging. I said, you can charge me whatever you need me to pay for rent. And no joke, I got a room on the back patio. <laughs> and so I lived on the back patio for, um, for a year. And uh, I think I moved there in like February. I think I moved there in January. And I, and I lived on the back patio until the summer. And that summer, I got an apartment uh, with this one f- friend of mine. And I got an apartment. We stayed in that apartment for six months. And I moved to New York in January, January 4th, 2002. Wow. So that whole year, uh, I was able to pay rent for my brother, Ben. It was just like, he charged me like 200 bucks. You know, I mean, I was living in a patio and like, but they were living in a whole house. And so they charged me like a hundred, maybe it was even a hundred bucks, you know, just like, I don't know, just here's a number, (laughs) here's the number, just give us a hundred bucks a month or whatever. And I took, uh, multiple jobs. I worked for the entire year and all I did that entire year was save up enough money to move to New York of which at the time when it came time to move to New York, I did not have enough. Mm. So I, I can bring you into the experience that like sort of leapfrogged me into getting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, not have enough money. Um, and so that happened and then I got here. <laughs> ha- happy, happy to tell you the story. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, go yeah ahead. please, please. Um, so uh, I knew that I wanted to move to New York in January because I thought, well, I'm working in Ohio for the year of 2001. And as far as I understood, um, it's going to make my taxes a lot easier when I do them that I do all of the year working in Ohio. And then I thought, okay, so literally on the first day of New York, uh, first day of 2002, I want to be living and working in New York. And so I was planning on moving here on January 4th. What happened was Uh, I didn't see any pictures of it. It was a dorm room with no running water, no bathroom, no toilet, no kitchen, nothing. It was just a box. It really was just a box. It was like eight feet across and 11 feet deep. And so it was like, you couldn't, you could fit a twin size bed in there. And there was a closet that was like, you know, you couldn't go in the closet. It was just a, a drawer with shelves. And, um, and there was a little dresser and a tiny little desk. And that was the whole room. And I got that room and it was, uh, $1,004 in 2002. I mean, that is unheard of because like, Mm -hmm. I even know people that are just moving to New York right now and they're not paying that, but like you get whatever you can when you're moving to New York. And that's Mm -hmm. the only thing I found. And, um, and I found it through a girl that had worked in Columbus with me. We had like worked at a theater together in Columbus and we were like teaching little kids and like doing a couple shows and stuff like that. And, uh, she was like, well, she was moving, living in New York, um, under the AMDA program and lived in this apartment. And she was like, well, it's an all women's dorm, but I think you can apply. And I was like, an all women's dorm. Okay. <laughs> like, just, uh, all right I'll, I'll take anything I can get I have mm-hmm. no ends I went to New York in the fall um to go uh 
look. Uh, let's see, I was doing a show in Columbus at the time and I left uh, a week before we started the show. And um, we were starting the show on Friday, September 15th, 2001. Is this like ringing any bells of how close we're getting mm, to yeah. me flying in and out of New York? Mm -hmm. So I flew to New York on, on uh, I think it was September 4th. And I flew home September 9th. Wow. And, oh, um, and then, and then, so then two days later and, and that whole thing happened. And I remember, um, I spoke with both of my parents, they were, they're divorced. Like one was living in California, one was living in Provo. And I spoke to both of them and both of them said the exact same thing. So what are you going to do now that you're not moving to New York? Yeah. Right. Like that's just, that's just yeah. it. She's not mm -hmm. going, she can't go. She's, she won't go. She can't. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I'm still going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I moved here when the fires were still burning. So um, what, what ended up happening was um, I wrapped up that show. I And then it was the holidays and I'm counting my money. And so if that room was $1,000, I needed $1,000 to have that month. I needed $1,000 for the next month. Mm -hmm. I needed $1,000 security. Mm -hmm. And I needed $1,000 to be living off of. And so I needed at least $4,000 to move to New York. And I worked the entire year mm -hmm. and I had, uh, I had $2,300. I had, I no, no, I think I had worked the entire year and I think I had saved up. I actually think it was $1,800. Wow. Oh, wow. So I didn't even have the first month and then the first month rent, but I knew, I knew I was moving there on the fourth. I just did not have the money yet. Mm -hmm. And I had secured the room, didn't have the money, was going no matter what, didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, and so these numbers are important. So I needed uh, $4,000 to move here with, and mm -hmm. I had saved up um, about $1,800, three and a half weeks. It was about a month before we, I was coming to New York. I was riding in my boyfriend's car. We were going to, we were running errands or something. It was Sunday. I was reading the Sunday paper, the Columbus Dispatch. I was reading the paper and uh, we were on the freeway and he was driving. And, and, and I remember, and I would never, ever, ever in my life remember this moment for any reason. And there was a question in the back of the time of the Columbus Dispatch. There was a quiz. And I was like, Ooh, there's a quiz. First question. What's easier to raise, a boy or a girl? And I said, oh, here's a good one. What's easier to raise, a boy or a girl? And at the exact same time, he goes, boy. And I go, girl. And we both went, we both went, bah! <laughs> and I looked down for the next question. And he grabbed me like this. He threw his arm over and he went, Michelle. And nobody calls me Michelle mm -hmm. except for my dad when I'm in trouble, my mom when I'm in trouble, and my boyfriend when we're going to die because the car in front of us flipped upside down. When I looked up, I saw all four tires of the underside of the car because it was mm -hmm. flipping like this. Mm -hmm. And the car just went and it hit this other car it was flipping it was rolling our car we were skidding by this one car if we had hit it it would have gone over the uh over oh, belt geez. of the freeway onto the freeway below mm -hmm. so instead of that we we skipped this way and we directly hit the car in uh in front of us the car behind us slammed into us there was a pile up we were in the middle of the pile up 
I I kicked my door open. He kicked his door open. I got out before getting hit by a car. So did he. Um, and there was a car. The car that was upside down was teetering on the side of the freeway, hanging Jeez. over the freeway below it. The door of that car kicks open. Um, an African American guy gets up. He gets out. He's sort of stumbling. I remember he. I remember he was tall. He was good looking. He was wearing a suit, and he gets out. And he's like dizzy and he's, and he's like this and he goes back in the car and I was 30 feet away and I was like, no, like this, he goes back in the car and he pulls out this woman and she's like, she's screaming and she's hysterical. He goes back in the car and he merges with a baby and the car flips over the overpass. So the man, the woman and the baby made it out of the car. The car teeters onto the uh, off of the freeway when they he made it out with the baby, um, and then there was a pileup below. So this made news everywhere. It was this crazy, crazy, crazy crash that we were involved with, and Guillermo, my boyfriend, had car insurance, and the the next day they called me to speak to me because I couldn't get to work and I only had three weeks left to earn like over $2,000 and there was no way I was going to earn this money and tips. I, I was scrambling. I was desperate to get to work. I couldn't work. I was hysterically sobbing on the phone. Um, and they were just asking me all these questions. That's all I remember. And by the end of that week, they sent me a check in the mail for $2,800. I had my $4,000 it was over four that I ended up making. It was like 4,300 that I, that I went to New York and I made, and it was like one month rent, one month security, the next month's rent ready to be paid. And just about a thousand dollars to live off of while trying to find a job and, uh, make my money for, you know, and build up to, so that February is paid too, mm -hmm. not just January and, and, or so that March is paid too, not just January and February. Wow. So, what an the incredible exact, story. The exact amount of money that I needed to the dollar showed up in the mail. Oh, Crazy. Well, th thankful that, you know, yeah. that driver was able to pull out his family, that you guys were, you know, Everyone able to walk lived. away from like, it. No one got hurt. I mean, I mean, we were all rattled, but no one actually got hurt. Like, no, no one died. It was like incredible. It was incredible. Gosh. And then, wow. and yeah, and then, and like, then you wow. were in New York, <laughs> and then, and and three weeks later, I was living in New York. And then you wrote a Broadway musical based on your experience. Yes, it's called <laughs> it's called the Crash of Dollars, <laughs> Crash of Destiny, <laughs> Crash of Destiny. So, yeah. Man, that's a story. Wow, I I like Great. that. Wow, like. <laughs> Me, me and Daniel are, you know, sitting right next to each other, and we're just like on the edge of our seats. Yeah. Like, is she going to make it out alive? Wait a minute, we're ta she's happen? talking to us. Gonna gonna that car. <laughs> so, so, so you moved to New York. What's yes. your first impressions of New York? It was not long after September 11th, and the reason I mentioned that was because I didn't move into the New York that I know right now. When I moved to New York, I will not ever forget that everyone looked everyone in the eye. I thought it was so interesting that like, and it didn't register. I didn't know. So I didn't realize that like six months later, I'm still looking everybody in the eye. Cause I'm like, hi, I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> hi everybody. <laughs> but, but when I first moved there and everybody was scanning everyone, it, it, I didn't realize for weeks that it was, that it was actually because so many people were missing still. 
and like all of these things and like the city had been flipped upside down. And so I just thought, well, it's, it's so much nicer than everybody told me it was. And I just remember that was the vibe, like just getting looked at and studied everywhere you went by everyone. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought that's how it was. And within the first year, uh, things really started to sort of fall into what is the normal New York and and what I know to this day. And it's always been the same, you know, and, and part of that might've been, you know, that everybody was really scanning each other. And part of it was that I was super, super observant of how everyone interacted when I first got here. And I did look at people too long and I, I did get snapped at and I did get the weird looks because I was just like, hi, isn't New York fabulous? You know, like just, I don't know, just being an idiot. You know, like, just, I just shouldn't have, I I shouldn't have survived my first year here, but somehow I did. And what would you say, like, you know, once New York kind of settled back to its normal grooves and stuff, what were, you know, the big, like, differences, I guess you'd say, between Columbus, New York, Utah, LA, or Southern California? Um, Are there big stark differences that you would say, or were they very similar in others? They are nothing alike (laughs) and they, they never were and they never have been. It's possible that back then the differences were stronger, but, but honestly, they're still very strong today here in New York. You do your thing. You do your thing. It's about you. It's your private Island. You get where you need to be. You, you hustle, you work hard, you move fast. You get from one location to the next. You can identify a tourist from two blocks away. You just walk the other direction. You know, um, you know, it just you just see them. You know who everybody is. You know where everybody came from just at a glance. It's it, the city moves so fast, and you are able to like after years of being surrounded by millions of people, you just instantly identify who's with what and what's doing what and who's doing where and blah, 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 where they all came from, where they're going, you know, like I can take one glance around a subway car and know exactly who's on the wrong car by accident. Mm-hmm. Like I know, you know that like the doors close mm-hmm. and you just look across and you're like, this lady has no idea. This is an express train. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just watch. And then, and she's just like, you know, like looking at a book or something, just like, and then like she looks up and sees her sees her stop like and then she's like oh oh and you're right you're right like you're just always right so you see you know you it's really easy to know who's who and who's what and who's doing what and who to avoid <laughs> you know in New York in um Ohio and in Utah uh you know they're they're both open midwestern places very warm very sweet Utah is a little more uh, has its own culture, you know, because of the Mormons and because, oh, you guys are twins with your <laughs> hydration. <laughs> you synchronized drinking. There we um, go. You know, the, you know, I, and I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up Mormon. And so mm-hmm. I, I totally understand, you know, Mormon culture and all of that. So it is very Mormon culture esque in Utah. In Ohio, it's just classic Midwest. It's, you know, you get your salt and pepper of the of the Midwest. And in California, unlike, for, for me, un, unlike any other location, it is the most open. It is the most, like, everyone says hi to everyone. Everyone looks at everyone. Everyone's like, morning, how you doing? You know, you go to offer, you do like go and like, we were in San Diego for a wedding, you know, two years ago, and we go into a cafe and it's morning. 
and we order coffee and the guy, like we order coffee and the guy turns around and he looks at the menu behind him and he's like, so did you want like a medium or a small, you know? And it was like, how are you, how is your business surviving? However, but it was just this like slightly slower, so chill, so vibe. And like, I guess, you know, once you're living in New York for so long and you're a type personality and you're like, I got I got somewhere to be. And you go to New York, you go to California and it's genuinely shocking that everybody's just like, ah, uh, he'll make it when he makes it. <laughs> see, see, I, but see, I, weirdly enough, living in California though, I have the New York mindset of like, I have places to be. I've got things to do. I need you to hurry up. Like the drivers here and people that walk across the street. I was like, you may have nowhere to be at three in the afternoon, but I do. I need you to move. (laughs) I I genuinely think that the reason why we have so much traffic is because many of us Californians are just like, it's cool. I'm just in my car, taking my time. Not going to let this person merge. Okay, fine. I guess I will. Hey guys, welcome back. Michael here uh, to have a outro discussion uh, about what you just heard and as well as to check in with you. Um, I hope you enjoyed Act 1 with Shelly. She is just so much fun and she just shared so much just within that first part. Um, I really appreciated what she talked about in terms of, you know, sometimes life throws you a curveball. Uh, she was expecting to go on this full, fully paid for ride through to a college, but then last minute found out that she wasn't eligible for it just due to a few minor details. And But rather than, you know, letting that squash her dreams, she used it as fuel to keep on going. So, and, and that coupled with also hearing about her journey of just getting to New York City was so inspiring, especially during the time period when she was kind of talking about the effects of 9-11 and being a new person in New York City. I remember being uh, 11 years old when that happened. And so just there in the interview, I was just kind of like, my mind was blown just hearing about another person's perspective who was there, um, you know, not immediately when it happened, but was immediately there afterwards. And so it was just very interesting to hear her perspective of how New York City has gone through these changes uh, just as a city, as a as a hub of culture and people through the years. So, And there's going to be a lot more to come uh, later on. But now it wouldn't be an outro discussion here on the podcast without also checking in with me and Daniel. Um, now, unfortunately, this week, uh, Daniel and I, we just couldn't find time for our schedules to sync up for us to do a uh, joint outro discussion together. Um, So I'm going to be sharing Daniel's uh, segments here in just a little bit. Uh, But okay, I know at the beginning of this episode, I talked about having some exciting news. And I've been kind of very quiet about some of it on social media. It depends on where you follow me. But uh, okay, here we go. I am engaged to now my fiance Anna Karen Ranhell. <sighs> Makes me so excited to say it. Um, 
Longtime listeners here on the podcast uh, know just how important Anna Karen is to my life. Uh, we have been together now for almost six years. It'll be six years this November 5th. Um, but it has just been such an amazing journey. It's been an amazing five years and seven months and uh, going on several days now uh, <laughs> of being together. However, in all that time, I knew that she was the one for me personally after two months of dating. Uh, I just knew. We just clicked. We had a connection. And uh, I have pretty much known since that moment that she was going to be the one that I would love to commit the rest of my life with, to to go on this journey, to go on this adventure of life um, through the good and the bad. And Anna Karen has been there for me through all of my highs and, you know, for my lows, like last year when I experienced my head injury. Um, you know, Daniel here on the podcast, he was there for me, you know, any at any moment that I needed something you know, he said, just send me a message. But the person that was taking care of me every day during my recovery, and, you know, that recovery took a long, long time, several months, was Anna Karen. And uh, these past few months, I've been, just been working hard of finding the best way to tell her, to ask her. Um, long story short, I ended up... Uh, she is a model, and she's worked with many photographers here in L.A., so I reached out to one that she had worked with that actually specializes in wedding and in engagement photography, and I planned, along with this photographer, a photo shoot that Anna Karen would think that is just a quote-unquote normal photo shoot that just so happens to be taking place in this beautiful gardens just outside of Los Angeles, and so on that day, which is at the time of this recording, just a couple weeks ago on Thursday, the July 12th, Karen showed up for what she thought was just a normal photo shoot, but I surprised her um, mid-shoot. I was, you know, dressed up in a suit and bow tie and, you know, made sure I looked okay. Uh, but I, I, I surprised her. I got down on a knee and I asked my best friend to marry me. And she said, yes. And we celebrated with friends, with family. Um, and then me and Karen spent uh, the weekend following that in Big Bear, uh, which is an amazing like two and a half, three hour drive away from L.A. And it's just tucked up in the mountains, in the woods. And we finally were able to start having the talks of what are your ideas for a wedding? And uh, all, all of the wonderful conversations that you can have with someone in that moment and so uh past couple weeks have just been so surreal um so beautiful and i can honestly just say the happiest i have ever truly been more than any experience on the stage in front of a camera on any project this is for me just it's been an, an experience of just feeling that change happenings a positive change happening and uh for those of you who listened to our previous episode the team hustle with daniel and i uh, we actually recorded that here in my apartment and anna karen was actually home 
at the time of the recording, we thought she wasn't going to be, but she was. So go back and listen to that episode and you can hear Daniel and I talking around this change that's about to come and how excited we both were for it. And Daniel obviously knew that I was going to be there, that I was going to propose. And he was so excited for me. And uh, he was actually there on the phone with me just a few minutes before I proposed, just helping crack some jokes, get my mind off of uh, the quote unquote scary moment that was to come. Um, that's been my life. That's uh, for the past couple weeks. Um, you know, I described it to some people as the feeling was similar to when I moved to Los Angeles. It was this super exciting and exhilarating and but slightly scary. It's the unknown. You're about to change everything that you know, and it's going to be something new. And, and, and anything that goes beyond that decision is all positive, but it's making that choice. It can be the scary thing. And I'm so glad I, I did just like moving to Los Angeles. Uh, Anna Karen is very much home for me. They're LA, as home wouldn't be home if it weren't for her. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for uh, this next chapter of my life, guys. Uh, um, I'm very excited to be sharing this with you. But, oh my goodness, I've been talking probably a lot. So I am going to hand things on over uh, to my brother, the guy who was there with me, literally cracking me up before I went off to propose to Anna Karen. And that is... Mr. Daniel Tuttle. What's going on in your world, man? Hey guys, Daniel here. I'm so sorry we couldn't do this together. Michael, first of all, thank you so much for kind of taking the brunt of the intro and outro this week. Uh, I'll be doing that for Act 2. I'm excited. This is our first three-act episode. Uh, There was just so much knowledge and and great stories that Shelly told that we just didn't feel comfortable cutting a lot of it. So uh, we're very excited to make this a uh, three-act episode. Um, I know I've said it a thousand times and I'll probably say it another thousand times. Michael, uh, congratulations on your engagement. I'm so excited for you and Karen. Uh, you know how much I love you, brother. And, and, and seeing this go from conversations over a year ago of all the different possible ways of how you would do this. I'm so glad the final uh, uh, plan came out, uh, came out without a hitch and that she said yes. And Karen, you know, I love you. Congratulations. Um, I'm super honored to to know both of you, uh, especially you know Michael, my brother, my my creative partner, my, my uh, 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 would have been my life partner hadn't Karen been here. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but congratulations, brother. I, I'm I'm so happy for you guys. Um, it's weird doing a check in when we kind of checked in last week, but I know we recorded that a little bit ago. So uh, I no longer work at Marvista, the production company I've been with for the last few months. Uh, my temporary status ran out. Um, hopefully they'll call me back for something else, but, um, everybody was kind of sad to see me go. I even got some texts the next day of how people missing me, which was nice. Uh, always nice to know that people will miss you and that you, you did really well. Um, but because of some of the contacts I made, I immediately was given an opportunity for a freelance gig the Saturday after I left where I went and filmed ballroom dancing competitions for 15 hours so it was a long day a long day on my feet but it was a lot of fun made some new friends new contacts 
um, put my best foot forward and they loved what I did and offered to contact me when they're back here again in LA uh, filming, hopefully soon, um, and made some quick cash, uh, a day's worth of cash. So uh, always nice to make money and kind of do something close to what you love. Uh, I love running a camera, uh, making, staying kind of uh, keeping the cobwebs off of that. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Other than that, I'm, I'm job searching. I am writing. I'm trying to find a schedule for myself during the week to make sure I write and to make sure I job on and kind of making it like this is my day. This is my work day uh, and trying to kind of figure that out and get into that pattern where I'm not in office. I'm getting paid, but, for, you know, making it a work day. Um, but on that, that's pretty much it. That's all that's really been going on. We bought a new Instapot recently. We're excited to try that. <laughs> I don't know if that's exciting at all. But uh, I just want to thank everyone that sent anything for the check-in episode. Uh, you know, we love you guys. We love uh, uh, hearing any comments or questions that you have. We have some great interviews coming up that we'll definitely be sending out uh, requests for questions because I, I think they'll be really cool to get you guys involved with some of these because they're definitely for you. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, that was my week. Uh, Michael, back to you, brother. Congratulations again. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, means so much, again, just knowing that you were there for me literally right before walked it, walking into the Descanso Gardens, man. Uh, you know, maybe things wouldn't have gone so well if you weren't there to calm my nerves. So thank you as well. And also so awesome to hear about um, this perspective that you're kind of going into in this moment now, post Mar Vista, uh, post production company, you're using it as an opportunity not to um, be in the doldrums about it, to be wallowing in this quote unquote lack of opportunity, but instead of embracing the opportunity that's there before you, which is finding employment that's going to make you happy and also debt. You now have the time to write, to do the thing that you're passionate about. And I love that you're looking at approaching it as a job, that you're going to set up your schedule in such a way that it, it that upon appearances, it is a job. So I think that's awesome, man. And I think just by approaching it with that perspective, you are going to find something very soon, whether that is a normal nine-to-five full-time job or maybe getting one of your scripts out there. I know you're working on a feature film right now that you're going to get paid for. So I'm excited to hear how that film develops. But then this is also giving you time to work on other passion projects of yours, including the podcast, maybe. <laughs> so awesome to hear that, you know, despite some circumstances, things are going well, things are looking positive for you. Um, but speaking of other exciting things that are going on, uh, for the past couple months now, we have actually been hosting here on Hollywood Hustle a listener contest. Every few months, we at least try to have some type of contest, some giveaways uh, for you, our listeners, who are the reason why we keep making this show. Uh, we created a listener survey because we wanted to hear from you, to hear what was working, what maybe what's not working so much, and... Uh, we had a pretty awesome prize uh, donated to us by previous guests, but I'm going to let Daniel announce more about what the contest was about, as well as to announce, drumroll please, brrr, the listeners. Here we go. Yeah, Michael, we have some winners to our uh, uh, hustle contest that we've been having for the last few months. 
uh, where you could fill out a survey, um, letting us know what you think about the show and giving some of your opinions. And you can also leave a review for a second entry on iTunes. Um, the prize was a copy of Alexandra Boylan's book. And uh, we have two winners. And I am super excited to uh, announce those winners now, as Michael said. And those winners are Roxanne Alexia Sinclair and Christina Maxwell. All right. We have your emails, guys. Uh, we'll be emailing you to get information to where we can send the book. Uh, congratulations. And one of you will be getting a signed copy. Ooh. But uh, thank you so much for entering. Guys, we're going to leave the survey up on the website for a few more weeks. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll do another prize. Uh, if we do, the whoever comes in with a survey after today will be entered into that next contest. But uh, if you haven't yet, please go on www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. It's in the homepage on the bottom. There's a link to it. We just want to know what you think of the show, uh, your opinions on what you prefer in the show, and kind of what you pre what your preferences are in podcasts in general. So it just helps us become better and grow as a podcast to make sure this is what you want. And that's, you know, you're the listener. Uh, the customer's not always right, but the listener should get what they want. So thank you so much, guys. Back to you, Michael. Yes, congratulations, uh, Roxanne and Christina. Thank you both so much for supporting the Hollywood Hustle podcast for helping me and Daniel out with uh, your thoughts about the show. And, you know, we're so happy that you get to have this gift of Alexandra Boylan's thoughts and you know, lessons that she's learned from her years here in Hollywood. Um, so happy and humbled that you both took the time to share with us uh, your thoughts about our show. We really, truly, from the bottom of our heart, are grateful for that. And as Daniel also said, please, if you haven't uh, sent us your thoughts yet, if you haven't participated in our survey, it's going to be up for another couple weeks at least. Um, and we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, we're, we have questions on there talking about show structure, certain things, updates that have recently come onto the show. We'd love to hear your thoughts about them. So uh, again, you just go to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. And if you just scroll down on our homepage, you'll see a link to our listener survey. So we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, congratulations to Roxanne and Christina. Now, one of the new things that we've been having on our show for the past uh, at least couple months now um, is our hustle support statements. This is something where Daniel and I have a prepared statement that we want to give to you our listeners. Uh, this is something for you to think about and take with you on your journey as you continue your hustle this week. Um, you know, we we find a lesson that speaks to us personally uh, from this particular interview, from this act with a guest, and we kind of mull it over and think about how it relates to our journey, but also how we think it can be taken onto your journey as well. So uh, Daniel is up first with his hustle support statement. Can't wait to hear what he has to say. Go ahead, buddy. Thank you, Michael. You know, Shelly talks about how the, some, the issues she had when she was trying to go to college and with the uh, school credits and things like that. 
And so I wanted to just kind of mention a little bit about unintended or unexpected struggles. We all have them. Uh, the tire goes flat, uh, usually with a car. Uh, you break your leg. Uh, a friend gets hurt. Um, the job doesn't stay open. Uh, you don't get the job or you get fired or let go. There's a lot of unintended struggles that happen in this business and in life in general. And it's really easy to let them control your next step and control who you become or how you feel. And it's easy to be down. It's easy to get upset and it's easy to get sad. And that's okay. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry and let that out. But what it's not okay to do is to give up. There's always a way. I want you to remember that. There's always a way. We can complain all day to our friends. We can complain all day on Twitter and Facebook and in IG stories. But if you're always complaining, you're not looking for solutions. And so if unintended struggles come upon you, Take the time to feel the emotion. Take the time to be angry and sad and frustrated. And, but tell yourself, I'm going to vent to one person or on one social media platform, and then I'm going to get to work to figuring this out. How am I going to pay for that flight tire? How am I going to get a new job? How am I going to uh, pay the doctor's bill? How am I going to get to work? Just find that time. You know, Give yourself control. I'm going to be sad, I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to vent to one person, and then I'm going to get to work. That way, you can still keep your positive outlook. You are in control, not the universe or the struggle or the pain or the anger. You are in control. Remember that. If you sit and wallow, that's you making that choice. But you can get up. I I just got let go from my temporary job that was supposed to last until October, uh, based on what they told me. It ended a lot sooner than we expected. And I'm getting up. I'm job hunting. I'm, I'm doing a workflow to make sure I write and stay, stay productive and take this time to do things and not take it for granted. And I hope you do the same. So when that unintended struggle comes, take it, feel angry, vent, and then take back control of your life. Back to you, Michael. Boom. Thank you so much, Daniel, for that take back control of your life. I love that. That's a lesson that I personally have to keep reminding myself of uh, from time to time. Uh, I remember that reminds me of previous guest AJ Meyer from the Inside Acting Podcast. In one of his uh, acts, uh, he shared being the author of your life. And I think that's speaking to the same Uh, message, which is you are in control of your own narrative. You are in control of how you react to situations. So have your reaction and then come up with a positive outcome from it. I love that. I love that. I love that. And actually, that kind of touches on my hustle support statement this week. Uh, One of the many things that inspired me from our conversation with Shelly was just how open she was to opportunities and how she allowed each experience From the Cowardly Lion to the Young Americans to hustling the daily grind to save up money to move to New York City. Because it all informs your work and refines who you are. Rather than being reluctant to pursue alternate paths, Shelley embraced them as steps to climb upwards. 
not in a circle. And I can say that this year, through the support of you, our listeners, our community, as well as my loved ones, friends, and family, I allowed my experience of being in the show met again to impact my journey, not just as an actor, but as a person on their life's journey. This play was a celebration to this simple idea that the act of falling in love with someone can have a profound impact on each other's lives. Rather than approach it as just, oh, it's just another Hollywood fringe show or thinking of it as a tool to book myself representation or uh, to advance my career in any big way, it instead inspired me to ask myself, what impact has Anna Karen had on my life? Can I imagine my life without her? What random memories of our relationship do I keep revisiting and what hopes do I have for us in the future? And when will it be time to make those hopes a reality? When will I be ready to make the choice to embrace this powerful love and commit myself to it? You know, it's so easy as artists in this commercially driven industry to think of what will advance our careers over what will advance ourselves, what will get our names in front of agents and producers. But as artists, it is up to us to create. But as artists, we are the interpreters of life. And as such, we must be the ones that are open to what life presents to us and create our own translation of those events, of those feelings. And in doing so, I believe we not only become more aware artists, but we can find true happiness in our own lives that makes us climb upwards. And I honestly think that if you allow yourself to feel, if you allow opportunities to teach you, and allow yourself to learn from other people, so much wonderful things can happen to you. <laughs> Getting a little emotional here on the show, but it is not just coincidence that I found these questions in myself as well as being in this play at the same time. Life... <laughs> Is weird. The, the universe works in very mysterious ways. But rather than just treating it as a play, I thought about how can this play impact my life? And I'm so happy I let it. Whew. Okay. Enough of that. Um, <laughs> I want to hear from you guys. We would love to hear from you about what you took away, what your hustle, su uh, what your hustle support statement would be this week for Act One with Shelly Shinoy. You can reach out to us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and on Twitter at LA Hustlecast. Daniel is at Daniel Tuttle. That's T-U-T-T-E-L. And I am at Michael Lutheran on all social media platforms. And let's bring in the voiceover maestro herself, Shelly Shinoy, into the conversation. You can tag her at Shelly Shinoy on Instagram. Make sure to vi also visit her website, NYC vocoach.com to check out more of the services that Shelly offers to beginning to advanced voiceover actors, as well as actors who are just wanting to make changes in their career to, to level up, as it were. And what's even better is that you don't have to be in New York City. 
Whether you're in Los Angeles or London or wherever, Shelly can help you. And we talk all about this more and more in the next couple of acts. But get a preview of it. Check out her website. Again, that's nycvocoach.com. Shelly can help you. And of course, if you have any thoughts of what you would like to share with us, if it's longer than a tweet or longer than an Instagram direct message, you can always email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to record yourself and submit it to our email, we can put your na- your voice here on the show next week. So we'll be looking out for those questions and thoughts. We also know that life can sometimes get busy. You know, the, the day-to-day grind of working your day job and then your night job so that in between you can do the thing that you really love, aka the hustle. So sometimes you don't have time to listen to a full episode here on Hollywood Hustle. And we get that. But you want to stay clued into what's going on, what's happening in the conversation, who are these guests that we're about to bring on. Well, every Monday we release what I like to call the side hustle. It's a 10 to 15 minute preview of what's going to be happening on that full episode that week. So if you uh, subscribe to our channels, wherever you listen to us on your podcast, every week you're getting two episodes. You're getting the side hustle, which is a perfect thing to listen to if you don't think you'll have time maybe during that week to listen to the full episode. But then you'll also get the full hour, hour plus episode uh, to catch up on as well. So a lot of great co- uh, content coming your way. And if you just remember to hit subscribe, you'll get it all. It's going to be on whatever platform you listen to us on. <clears throat> you know, and the side hustle is there to keep you connected when you may not be able to listen to our full episodes so that you can join the conversation on our social media as well as reach out to our guests and all that good stuff. So make sure you check out our side hustles and also do us a favor and it would mean so much if you were loving the show, if you're you know, finding any inspiration uh, from it, Please share this with your community. Uh, Most artists tend to be friends with other artists, whether those are actors, directors, filmmakers, cosplayers, what have you. We all have friends who are doing some of the things that we are doing. And it would mean so much if you shared our podcast with your community as well. Uh, One of our listeners, AJ Dana, just recently uh, turned a friend on to our show. Thank you so much, AJ Dana. We really, really appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, listeners like you who help us reach more people. And that's what this podcast is all about. All boats rise with the tide. And that's what this community is all about. And also, if you feel like you're gaining a lot from this uh, podcast and that you would like to contribute in any way, if you've been sharing our episodes and, you know, you, you're really enjoying the content that you're getting, maybe consider making a contribution. It could be a one-time uh, contribution. It could be a dollar. It could be $5, $10 a month, anything that you'd like. You could go to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. And if you scroll down on our homepage, you'll see a PayPal button. You can go there. You can enter a one-time donation. Or if you're feeling super generous and you know, you're, you're in the right place to maybe consider giving uh, every month, uh, there's a way to sign up to uh, give uh, reoccurring monthly donations. So whether it's a one-time or a monthly uh, contribution, 
uh, we would greatly appreciate it. It all all proceeds go right back into this podcast, into making sure we have the best equipment available, making sure that this podcast is coming to you consistently, as well as consistently high quality as possible. So thank you guys so much. Thank you for those of you who have supported us. We really appreciate it. And if you feel like you can give to the hustle a bit more, we greatly appreciate that as well. Thank you, everyone who supports us. And, you know, again, if you think that you'd like to go another step in uh, forward with your support and would like to give a contribution, that would be amazing as well. We love you guys and thank you. Now, coming up next week, we are back with Shelly Shinoy. And in Act 2, you'll get to hear all about how she adapted to New York City, finding work to support her acting career, but then also how she helped found a sketch comedy troupe, utilizing the skills she gained from the young Americans, and how she learned to do every job necessary to help catapult that group into booking venues. More stories are coming your way. A lot of great lessons to be learned, and it's all right here on the Hollywood Hustle podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week um, and for joining us every week. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're happy to have you. Again, make sure you hit subscribe so that you get us every week. Make sure that you hit subscribe. That way you're always up to date with the Hollywood Hustle community. And from the bottom of my heart, everyone. Thank you so much for your support. For those of you who sent me congrats uh, when I posted the engagement photos on my social media, seeing your specific responses just filled my heart with so much love. It's amazing to see this community grow, but also amazing to see how much of an impact it's having on my personal life. So thank you Thank you, thank you. So remember to always let the work inspire you. Reach out to people, listen, let others inspire you because you never know what's going to happen next. And always remember to keep up the hustle. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Our show's executive producer is Daniel Tuttle. This episode was produced and edited by Michael Lutheran. And Gordon Meacham is our episode analyst, while Michael Tobias edited our website, which is HollywoodHustlePodcast.com. Hollywood Hustle Podcast.